Thank you for checking out the Mercy Hill Church Sermon Podcast. If you would like to know more about Mercy Hill, you can visit us on the web at mercyhill.cc. All right, we want to turn with me to Daniel chapter 2. As you do that, we're going to pray. Lord, we, we give thanks. We give thanks this morning, Jesus, that you are the king of your kingdom. Lord, we acknowledge your kingship over all things. Lord, we pray that over the next few months, that we would fix our eyes upon the work that you are doing upon this earth. The work that you are doing in our families, the work you are doing in our neighborhoods, the work you are doing in our churches, and the work that you are doing across nations and peoples. And Lord, help us to see you as glorious. God, that is our desire. We want to see you lifted high. The king, the reigning king, the righteous king, king over all. So King Jesus, we submit ourselves to you this morning. Help us to understand your word. We pray that you'd give us the gift of the Holy Spirit to be able to understand your word. We pray you would open our eyes to see the beauty of the things that you, have, you are communicating to us today. Amen. Amen. Daniel chapter 2, we're going to look at verses 31 through 45. Before we do that, when I was in college, I made a trip down to Tennessee. And while I was down there, I picked up a wife, but that was, that was great, it was good. But I also did a couple other things. I went mountain climbing, all right? I went mountain climbing. And while I was down there, me and Ryan Heath and a buddy of mine, Jeff Reeb, we went and climbed a mountain called Mount LeCant, which is the third highest peak in the Smoky Mountains National Park. And I think we've got a picture of it right here. It was quite, okay, that's the real Mount LeCant, okay? The first one was, was Mount Everest. I didn't climb that one. Instead, I climbed Mount LeCant. They don't quite have snow-capped mountains in the Smokies, but, as you can see, it was quite stunning. I mean, it's, yeah, it looks kind of like a big hill, but it's a mountain nonetheless, standing at over 6,593 feet, all right? Quite amazing, I know. I grew up sledding on overpasses, okay? My, my understanding of mountains was about 50 feet and that's where, I, that's where I grew up, and I didn't, we didn't travel much as kids, but so this thing was just awesome, you know. But while you're mountain climbing, as you, when you're at the base of the mountain, you're surrounded by trees, and you begin to climb, you can't really see the mountain. You're just kind of in the middle of, you know, you're walking up the trail, and there's, there's, there's trees everywhere, and there's rocks, and you're trying not to, to trip, and so you can't really get a good feel of what the mountain's like. And it's really not until you get to the very peak of the mountain the very top of the mountain, that you're, you're there, you've made it, you've reached the goal, you've reached the destination, that you can actually then look down from the top of the mountain 
and begin to see the contours of the mountain and see how the mountain lays and see where the roads are around it and see the different trails that are coming up the mountain and really the beauty of what's around you. You don't really get that maybe a few times while you're climbing, but when you get to the top, it makes perfect sense. You can see it, you can understand the mountain, you can see the, the things that you, the places you've been, where you've gone, how you need to get back. Now, hold up your piece of the puzzle. Everyone got a piece of the puzzle? And hold it up, little piece. All right, put it in your pocket. We're going to all do this after the service. We're going to, no, we're not. I'm just kidding. It's not youth group. Okay. So often we live our lives in this piece of the puzzle. And it's hard for us to understand how does this little piece that I have fit into the scope of God's kingdom? How does this fit? How does this whole, how does this whole thing work? When you read in Habakkuk, you don't have to turn there, but when you read in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14, it says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. How does what I, my little life, how does changing a diaper at 3 a.m. in the morning, how does getting up to go to work, how does serving in the church, how does that all fit to the knowledge of the glory of the Lord covering over the, the whole earth? How does this little piece that I live on fit into the big picture? I mean, there's a big picture here that we're seeing in, in this verse that the whole earth would be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. But how does that work? I mean, I'm just one little piece, right? That's it, just one little piece. How does it fit into this whole thing? Well, it's helpful if we've got the top of the box. See, one piece by itself, we, don't really, we can't really tell what this is. Looks like a little bit of trees, a little bit of yellow. I'm not quite sure what that is. But when you hold it up to the box top, it makes perfect sense. You can not only see what picture is being made, but you can also see where your piece fits. And so we all hold up a piece of New Schwanstein Castle in Germany. Before I told you that, you had no idea, did you? But it's helpful at times to hold up the box top and say, here's how it all fits. Let me tell you how this whole thing works. Let's get an understanding of where my little piece in this great big puzzle, this great big tapestry of what God is doing across the earth, how this little piece fits into everything else. And so that is what we want to do with this kingdom series. We want to take this, this little piece that we're on, this little bit of responsibility, this little bit of, 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 of what God has given us to do in our lives and all around us and say, how does this fit into what Almighty God is doing across the earth? His glory being revealed, filling the whole earth. And so this morning, we're going to look at an introduction to the kingdom. We're going to spend the next 14 weeks unpacking this. I can't possibly fit it all into one morning, but this morning is just an introduction to what the kingdom of God looks like. Okay? So let's look at Daniel chapter 2, verses 31 through 45. And I want to just set this up. Daniel and his friends have been deported to Babylon, and there King Nebuchadnezzar is 
there's the ruler, he's the king supreme. And while Daniel's there in his service, Nebuchadnezzar has a, has a, has a dream. And he doesn't understand what this dream means. And so he gathers all his wise men, his sorcerers, these magicians, and says, look, I want you to interpret this dream. I said, okay, no problem. What's the dream? And Nebuchadnezzar says, look, here's the deal. I want you to tell me what this dream means, but you also need to tell me what I, what I saw in the dream. That's why I'm going to know that you're legit, right? I'm going to know that you're for real if you can tell me not only what it means, but then also what I saw. And these guys are like, are you serious? There's no way that we're going to be able to. There's no one on earth who's going to be able to tell you not only what you saw, but what it means. So just tell us what it means. He says, you know what? Not good enough. Everyone's going to die. All my, all my wise men, all my sorcerers, all these guys who interpret dreams, I'm going to wipe you out. We're going to start all over again. Well, this comes to Daniel's ears. Daniel approaches the king and says, you know what? You're right. Not a man on earth can do this, but there's a God in heaven. There's a God in heaven who not only knows your dream, but has given it to you for a specific reason, and he is going to reveal to you what it means. And so Daniel now is, is with King Nebuchadnezzar, and he's explaining the dream and what it means and what, what the king saw. Verse 31. You saw, O king, and behold, a great image. This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. And as you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floor. And the wind carried them away, so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This was your dream. Now we will tell you, tell you the king its interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, of whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power and the might and the glory, and into whose hand he has given wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all. You are the head of gold. Another kingdom inferior to you, to you shall rise after you, and yet the third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And there should be a fourth kingdom strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these. And as you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be divided, it shall be a divided kingdom. But some of the firmness of iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with the soft clay. And as the toes of the, of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. As you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage, but they will not hold together just as iron does not mix with clay. And in those days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. 
It shall break in pieces all the kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation sure. So here Daniel's explaining to King Nebuchadnezzar, who was the ruling king of the greatest kingdom at that point in time. And he's talking about other kingdoms and explaining them to the king. And he says, look, all the kingdoms that you saw in your dream, the the, the four kingdoms that you saw that man has built all have this one thing in common. They're all going to come to an end. All these kingdoms that you have seen in your dream that man has, has, has given himself to and have built on their own, they will come to an end. But there's another kingdom here. There is another kingdom that you've seen in your dream. And it's got a couple of, of things that we want to look at this morning. So although I'd love to go into the history and what he's talking about, all these different kingdoms here, we're going to focus our attention on what he's talking about in this great kingdom that was, that was begun by God. And so we see from the very beginning, number one, that this kingdom that Daniel begins to talk about in chapter two is not of human origin. He says it was a stone that was not cut out by human hand. It's divine. It's the purpose of God. This is God at work. This is God doing what he does, forming a kingdom for himself. Number two, we also see this, that it is an eternal kingdom. This is an eternal kingdom. It will never be destroyed. It will stand forever. All the other kingdoms broken into pieces, never to recover. But he says this kingdom is unlike any of those kingdoms. This kingdom is an eternal kingdom. Number three, not only is it an eternal kingdom, but it also breaks into pieces all other kingdoms and brings them to a radical end. It is more powerful and mighty than any kingdom in the history of the world. The greatest kingdoms in the history of the world do not come close to standing up to the power of God's kingdom, the power of God's purposes, and what he has ordained to happen on this earth. But not only that, but number four, we see the expanse of the kingdom. This rock that was hewn out by no human hand, that rolled over and crushed all the other kingdoms, you know what it did? It became a mountain, and it filled the whole earth. This is a kingdom that was hewn out, that was a rock, and then it filled the whole earth as a great mountain. Everything was filled. Everything in this kingdom filled the whole earth. Nothing can stop it. I want us to turn over to Isaiah 6. Turn over to Isaiah 6, and I want us to see what the king of this kingdom looks like. Isaiah chapter 9 begins to describe for us, talk to us about this king. So years, hundreds of years before Jesus was ever born, Isaiah writes this. For unto us, for to us a child is born, 
to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now watch this. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. It's the king of the kingdom. He's describing Jesus, the king of the kingdom, and what his reign is going to be like. He says it's going to, the increase of his government and peace will know no end. It is this mountain that fills the whole earth. It is growing. It is increasing. This wonderful counsel, this mighty God, this everlasting Father, this Prince of Peace rules over the kingdom. And it knows no end. He sits on a throne. The government is upon his shoulders. And he establishes and upholds it by his power alone. By his power alone. So, when does the kingdom show up? When does the kingdom arrive? I want us to turn now over to Mark chapter 1. It goes Matthew, then Mark, then Luke. Mark chapter 1, verse 15. And now we see Jesus. And what does Jesus say about the kingdom? Chapter 1, verse 15. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. These are the first recorded words of Jesus in the gospel of Mark. The, very, the, very, the first thing that Mark records Jesus Christ as communicating to people, as preaching the message. This is the, the very first thing that Jesus utters in the Gospel of Mark. He says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the Gospel. The very first words we see, the coming of the king is the coming of the kingdom. Amen. With Jesus comes the kingdom because he is the king of the kingdom. He is the ruler of the kingdom. Jesus comes with a purpose. Just like any king, just like any kingdom, there's conflict. There's conflict. He says, repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe in the gospel. The kingdom's here, therefore repent and believe in the gospel. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself because I'm preaching on this. This is, this is um, number two in the series, but because the kingdom is here, because the king has arrived, he says, we need to repent and believe the gospel. We need to believe the good news of Jesus Christ, that the king has come to redeem a people for himself, that at one time there was a people, and there is a people now, who have rebelled against the king, just like in the very Garden of Eden for the first story, the Garden of Eden man has rebelled against God, rebelled against his rule, have, has withdrawn himself from God's kingdom, We've gone our own way. We've chosen to set up another king. And it's ourselves. 
And he says, we need, in response to the coming of the king, in response to the coming of the kingdom, we need to repent and trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. That we would not only have a forgiveness of sins, but be brought into his kingdom and submit ourselves under his, under his rule and under his lordship of our lives. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all chosen to go our own way. Some of us have blown it big time. Some of us are just, you know, it's not that bad, but the bottom line is we have followed our own ways. We've gone our own way. We've not submitted to Christ with all of our lives. We've not given ourselves, we've not bowed the knee to his kingship in our lives. We do what seems best to us. And by God's standard, that's rebellion to the king. And here's what he's saying. He says, we need to believe that the Savior has not only died for our sins, but he rose again three days later in victory over death and sin and Satan. And this is exactly what the Apostle Paul says in Colossians 2. Colossians 2, the Apostle Paul begins to lay out for us what was accomplished at the cross, what the king came to do. Colossians 2, verse 15, we read this, that he, meaning Jesus, on the cross, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him, in Jesus Christ. The enemy has been defeated. The conflict of the kingdom, the enemy has been defeated. That sin and Satan and death have no hold over the the sons of the king, the daughters of the king. That Jesus came victorious. And Jesus sets up a kingdom and begins and inaugurates a kingdom that isn't a political party. It's not a physical government, but it's the reign of Jesus Christ in our lives that affects everything in us. It's the reign of Jesus Christ in our lives that affects everything we do, from the way that we spend our money, to the way that we engage with culture, to the way that we parent our children, to the way that we are a husband and wife to one another, to the way that we worship at church, to everything that we do in our lives is submitted to Jesus Christ and his lordship over us. And because he has purchased us with the price of his blood on the cross, we are now able to walk in obedience to him, believe in the gospel, and submit ourselves under his rule and under his reign in our lives. This is what Jesus Christ has come to do. This is the reign of Jesus Christ in our lives. It's not a government. It's not a political party. It is the reign and rule of Jesus Christ in our lives that impacts everything that we do and everything that we come into contact with. Everything. The way we work. Everything that we do is governed and ruled by a gracious king. His name is Jesus. Now, in Matthew 6.10, the famous, the Lord's, the Lord's Prayer, we've heard it many times, we've been in church for any amount of time, but I want to read, it's this one passage, this one verse, Matthew 6.10, he says this, Jesus is praying, and this is the way that Jesus prays, he says, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What Jesus is essentially praying here is he's saying, look, your kingdom come. All other kingdoms, every other kingdom on earth, be subject to your kingdom. That there is a kingdom here 
of God that, that rules over all kingdoms. That your kingdom come, regardless of anything else that's going on, that your kingdom rules and reigns over all things, over everything. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Not my will be done, not the government's rule be done, not a family member's rule be done, but God, your rule, your will, your purposes be done on the earth. That's what he's praying. All other kingdoms come to an end. All other kingdoms must bow their knee to King Jesus. And think about the, the last time you had a conflict with somebody. Think about the last conflict you had with somebody. At the very heart of that conflict was this one thing. You weren't getting something that you wanted. That's really the, the essence of all conflict. We see that in James 4. You're not giving me something that I want. You're withholding something, whether it be respect or love or recognition or taking care of me the way that I want you to. That really boils down, almost every conflict boils down to that one thing. I'm not getting something I want. But it's in that moment that, that when we begin to demand things from people, begin to expect people to treat us a certain way, get in a conflict, that we begin to set up our own kingdom. And now it's my kingdom. Here's how things work in my kingdom. You give me respect. Here's how it works in my kingdom. You're going to give me the love that I deserve, that I believe I deserve. You're going to do all those things for me that I believe should happen in my kingdom. And what happens is in that moment is that we take, we take this puzzle piece that we've been given, small life that we have, and we say, you know what? I know the, the new Schwanstein castle is on the box, but you know what? I think I'd like a picture of some cats. And so I'm going to rearrange what I have. And we all know that cats are from the devil, and so we'd never see, we'd never see a, a box with a picture of cats on them. But what we do is we take this puzzle piece that we have and we say, you know what? It's not quite fitting the way I think it should fit. The kingdom isn't really working out the way that I want it to work out. So what am I going to do? I'm going to mash this thing in there. And I'm going to force it to fit the way I want it to. I don't like the picture. I don't like the picture of the trees over here. I think I like them over here. You know what? In my kingdom, it looks this way. I get the respect that I deserve. I get the attention that I deserve. That's how it works in my kingdom. Therefore, with the piece that I have, I'm going to make it fit somewhere else. So we get in all kinds of conflict because we begin to set up our own kingdom. We begin to set up our own rule, our own reign, our own territory. This is the kingdom of John, and this is the way it's going to look. And we rebel against the king. And that's why, as Christians, we not only repent and we believe in the gospel at our salvation, the point when God rejuvenates our hearts, when God brings us back to life again. But we also repent and believe the gospel every day of our lives. This is good news for us because the, the puzzle piece mashers that we are, the box changers that we are, God says, I've got grace. I've got grace for you. I have got mercy for you. You know what? You've really, you've made a big mess of this picture, but I'm in the business of restoring I'm in the business of redeeming. 
I'm in the business. I'm in the business of making new what has been destroyed. That's, my, that's what I'm in the business. That's what the king has come to do. He's come to redeem a people for himself. He's come to give new life to people who have scorned the king, have turned their back on him. He's come to redeem the people that have set up their own kingdoms and have said, things will be done my way. And God says, I've got grace for you. And I've got mercy available to you because of King Jesus and his work on the cross. That is what God has done. That is what God is doing upon the earth. That is this great big rock, this great big mountain that covers the whole earth. He's redeeming a people for himself. The rule and reign of Jesus will know no end. Now I want to turn, turn quickly to Revelations. You're not supposed to read the, end, the last chapter of the book until you get there, right? The Bible's a little bit different. We can skip to the back of the book and we can read this and celebrate. Because this is the picture that we get in Revelation 7, 9 and 10. This is what we read. This is John's getting a peek into heaven, getting a peek into what God is doing. It says, after this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. This is the end game. There is a king ruling over a kingdom that that has filled the whole earth that every tribe and nation and language and people have been redeemed by the king. That his kingdom that begun in Jerusalem in the small plot of land has now blown up all over the world and it's still blowing up today. The gospel is still bearing fruit in our midst, in our church, in our communities. That's why we have hope to send Larry to Italy. Because we believe there is a kingdom that is expanding and growing. That is why we have hope to send John and Karen to Africa for years. Because we believe the kingdom of God is growing and expanding. That is why we plant churches. Because we believe the kingdom of God is going to cover the whole earth. And his glory is going to cover over every square inch of it. That is why we have hope. That is why we have hope to see these things happen. That's why when Larry comes back and we say amen, praise the Lord for what he's doing. Praise the Lord for what he's going to do. It's because the king of the kingdom and his rule and reign know no end. That is why. That is why the king of the kingdom and his kingdom rules over all kingdoms. His kingdom rules over everything. So how do we respond? Number one, if we haven't given our lives to the Lord, if we have not repented of our sins, we need to repent and believe the gospel. We need to turn from our sins. We need to believe that we have sinned against a holy and righteous God. We have sinned against the king. We've turned our back. We've built our own kingdom. And therefore, we need to repent and believe the good news that Jesus Christ has come for kingdom builders that have built their own kingdoms to themselves. 
And he's died for us in our place, taking our punishment upon his body on the cross. Now when we repent of our sins and ask him to forgive us, he graciously forgives all of our sins, every last one of them, all of our sins in the past, all of our sins today, and all of our sins in the future, forgiven. But if you're here today and say, you know what, I am a Christian, but I look around my life and I've seen the kingdoms that I have been building, that I have constructed for myself. I've built the walls. I've built the blockades. There's parts of my life that I have not surrendered to the Lord and his, his lordship in my life. There's darkness in my heart and in my life that I've not confessed to God, that I've not brought to the Lord for forgiveness. We need, with all of our heart, to repent, confess our sin, and believe the gospel that Jesus Christ has come to forgive us of all of our sins. That with Jesus Christ, we have mercy. With Jesus Christ, we have his grace and his love and his forgiveness. That is the good news for us. So as we close in prayer, I want us to take a moment and respond to the Lord. I want us in this moment to ask God to forgive us of our sins, to believe that he has made a way to tear down our kingdoms and live our lives under his kingdom, in his lordship. So Lord Jesus, we just take a moment now and we confess that you are the Lord, that you are the king, that you are the God of the kingdom, that your kingdom rules over all kingdoms. And so Lord, at this moment, God, we confess the areas of our life that we need to surrender to you. God, I pray that you would forgive us of our selfishness. Lord, forgive me of my pride. Lord, forgive me of my laziness, how I demand to be served. Lord, I pray that you would help us, God, to come before your throne, to come before your cross and receive mercy. We just thank you, Jesus, for making a way for us to know the King, to know his mercy. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.